0: Good morning everyone. I hope you're all well this morning. And I just want to say before I start this, uh, today's message, I just want to thank you for your faithful listening to these messages over many, many months. Years now, I suppose it must be. And I know some of you regularly and faithfully follow these messages. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I trust that they've been a help to you and a blessing to you. But I want to ask you a question this morning about your soul. And I'm not addressing this to any particular person because actually I don't even know how far, how far these messages go. I know that some people listen to them and then pass them on. Um, and some people just pass them on and some people just delete them. Well, the people that just delete them are not going to hear this anyway, of course. But for those of you who do hear this this morning, I want to ask you, are you going to heaven when life is ended or when Jesus comes to take his people home? And if you think you are going to heaven, on what basis do you believe that? Because you're a good person, well, you may be kind, you may be all sorts of things, and I'm sure many of you are, but that's no basis for acceptance into God's heaven. In fact, we'll quote in a minute a verse from Romans chapter 3, says, There is none good, no, not one. So that will not get you into heaven, your kindness, your good deeds... No, not by deeds of righteousness, which I have done, but by his mercy he saved us, another scripture says. So I just want to pose that question to you today because I, for a little while now we've been mainly talking to believers, to those who love the Lord Jesus, to those who are already saved, those who are on their way to heaven and know it. Um, but today I have an exercise To just talk to you, my dear friend this morning, on the basis that you're not sure whether you're going to heaven or not, or perhaps you know you're not, and it doesn't bother you. Well, it should. And I say that extremely kindly. There is one thing certain in life, and that is death. Apart from, of course, when Jesus comes there will be those who will be alive when he comes who love him and know him and have trusted him and are saved people. And, of course, they will go to heaven without dying. Their bodies will be changed and transformed and they will be with Christ in a new body without dying. The sky, not the grave, says the old hymn is our goal, and we're waiting for that day when Jesus comes again to take us who are his church, his people, to heaven. But I want us to think about the uncertainty of life just for a moment. I don't want to be melancholy, I don't want to be miserable, (laughs) Uh, far from it. I want this to be the good news. The gospel means the good news, and it is the good news that there is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and you may go in at Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus, says the old chorus, and how true that is. But life is uncertain. Those two students leaving that party the other night never expected to be out of this life and into eternity. What a terrible experience, what a violent act. Those people who were driving their car and who died instantly from a terrible accident, they never expected that to happen. The last time we saw one of our friends that often comes and as far as we know, she doesn't love Christ. She doesn't. She's not a believer. But she comes into to our house on many occasions, and was here just a few days ago. The last time we saw her, the time before this week, she seemed to fe- to be fine. And then she tells us that she found a, a lump in her neck went to the doctors and had it examined, and <coughs> she has cancer. <coughs> <coughs> and that's not a rarity. <coughs> I could uh, point you to lots and lots of people. A friend of ours who is a believer and is now in the presence of the Lord, the last time we saw her she seemed to be fine. And then we heard, that she died. Cancer had taken a grip and there was no cure. So the uncertainty of life should make us stop and think. But the devil, of course, will give us three H's. He will tell us, he will try to convince us that there is no heaven He will try to convince us, certainly try and convince us that there is no hell, but actually, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven, which in itself is a message to our hearts today, isn't it? Because he warned people. But the devil will also say, There's no hurry. Well, he's wrong on all counts. There is a heaven to gain, there is a hell to shun. And there is a hurry to get right with God. And that's my subject this morning, getting right with God. The question is asked in the book of Job, how can man be just with God? And it's a very pertinent question, very important question. And I want us to think this morning about the matter of justification. We often say, don't we... I was justified in doing that, or that person was certainly justified in doing that. Well, that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about justification, and the word really means being accounted righteous before a holy God. Now, that seems impossible, doesn't it? You see, the background to the doctrine, if you like, the teaching, the New Testament teaching, of the matter of justification. The background is found in Romans in chapter 3, verses 10 through 23. But I'm not going to read it all, don't worry. There is none righteous, no, not one. And that's interesting, isn't it? You can go the world over. You can go to any country, any nation, uh, any people, and you will not find one perfect person. Because when sin came into the world, everyone was infected with that disease. There is none righteous, no, not one. They are all gone out of the way, the scripture says. And that reminds me of Isaiah chapter 53. All we have gone astray like sheep. We have turned everyone to his own way. But it goes on to say, and the Lord has laid on him, and that is Christ, the iniquity of us all, those that trust in him, of course. They are all gone out of the way, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there we are, we're all condemned. In fact, if we were to carry on reading that chapter we would, discuss, we would find this, that all the world will become guilty. Every mouth will be stopped and all the world will become guilty before God. So there we are. We're in the dock. Our judgment has been passed. There's none of us that are righteous. None of us deserve to go to heaven. None of us would be comfortable in heaven. None of us are fit for that sinless and eternal and glorious and holy place. But God has devised a means. Here's the amazing thing. The judge has passed the sentence and that judge is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself because he is God over all, blessed forever. And my Bible tells me in John chapter 5 that all judgment has been given into the hands of God's Son, the Lord Jesus. And yet, that judge, that throne, that that judgment seat, if you like, that is characterized by judgment and justice and holiness and righteousness, it's called a throne of grace. So the first means of justification, being made right before God, is in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 24, justified, being justified freely, no cost to you and me, amazing, infinite cost to God's Son, but being justified freely by his grace. Isn't that, isn't that incredible that that throne of justice <clears throat> that judgment bar <clears throat> upon which the holy God, in all his sinless character and sinless demands, sits, is now a throne that is characterized by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is undeserved mercy. Grace is unbounded love. Someone has said grace is God's riches, G-R, at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Isn't that amazing? So the basis or rather the means of justification is firstly the grace of God. God could have just wiped humanity out because of their sins and because of their sinfulness and defiance against him. And we live in a world that is shaking its fist, clenching its fist and raising it to heaven and say we will not have you. And the perversity of our nation demonstrates that. It isn't just against Christianity, it's against the Creator God. Being justified freely by His grace. Thank God this morning that our God is not just a God of holiness, a God of justice, a God of righteousness, but He's a God of grace. By grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one should boast. And then the next means of justification is the evidence of that grace. Chapter 5, verse 9 of Romans says this, Being now justified by his blood. We don't like to talk about blood, perhaps. But what Jesus did upon the cross of Calvary, the blood sacrifice that he offered, was the only means, and I can't emphasise that enough, the only means by which a sinner can be made right with God. It is because of what Jesus did, because of the price that he paid, because of the judgment that he sustained, because he bare my sins in his own body on that tree at Calvary. So we are justified by the grace of God. Why? Because that that judge, if you like, if we can draw a picture, that judge in the court has stepped down from his throne, stepped down from that throne of judgment, now characterized by grace, was born in Bethlehem God became flesh and went to Calvary and there he paid the debt for the sinner in the dock. There he exhausted the judgment that had been handed down to that guilty sinner in the dock, me, and he paid the price that I could never pay. The judgment consequent upon my sins was executed upon him. And I have been justified, I have been made right with God because Jesus paid in his blood for my sins upon that cross. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That is the greatest, the most glorious, the most wonderful the most precious message that has ever been told, and yet people will not have it. And they put people in prison in places like North Korea and many other dozens of other places around the world for telling people about that story, which is absolutely true, that the judge stepped off his throne and he came and he paid the debt of the sinner in the dock in order that that sinner should be made right in the sight of God. What a message. What a message. And then, the third means of justification is my acceptance of that. The gift is being held out to me. Will I receive it? Will I accept it? Will I rely upon it? Well, that's what... <clears throat> Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, being justified by faith, I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have the peace of God in our hearts once we become a Christian, but we can have peace with God when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and as our Saviour, when we bow the knee to him and recognise that the judge stepped down from his throne. He took my guilt and my sin, and he bore it to Calvary, and he suffered the just for the unjust, that he might bring me to God and justify my never-dying soul and make me right in the sight of God. There's another step of justification and that is the proof of justification. Romans chapter 4 and verse 24 and 5 says this, Jesus our Lord was delivered, up to Calvary that is, for our offences and was raised again on account of our justification. It wasn't the resurrection of Christ that justified us. The resurrection of Christ proved that God accepted the offering that his son had made there upon Calvary, who said, as he dismissed his spirit, Finish, tetelestai. The debt is paid. The sinner is freed. Justice has been executed. The work of salvation has been completed and justification is available to the believing sinner on Jesus. How wonderful. How incredibly wonderful. But my Bible goes on to tell me just one more thing that I want to mention before I close this morning. In the book of Acts and chapter 17 when Paul is preaching there in Athens, In Greece, he says that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained and he has given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. Can I say this solemnly and seriously and affectionately to you dear listeners this morning that the judge who stepped off the throne of judgment and characterized it by grace stepped into time to, to Bethlehem and to Galilee and to Jerusalem and to Golgotha and to Calvary and rose again from amongst the dead and went back to heaven my Bible tells me this That he is still a judge. He's a judge that died for sinners. But God has appointed a day in which he will sit upon the throne of his judgment. Then there will be no coming down from that throne to exercise grace to those that stand before him in that day. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. A great white throne. And heaven and earth fled away from the face of him that sat upon it. That same person is the one that hung upon the cross at Calvary. Mark My words, my dear friend, you will meet Jesus one way or another. You will either meet him in grace, you will either meet him, so to say, at Calvary, when you come and bow as a guilty sinner before him. Like the pilgrim did, you remember, in Pilgrim's Progress and the load of his sin rolled from his back as he knelt beneath the cross of Jesus. You'll either meet him there or you'll meet him at the great white throne of judgment in a coming day. And he will either say to you now, Welcome! Come into the blessing of my salvation when you bow at the cross and receive him as your Lord and Saviour. Acknowledge him as the one who is the master of your life or you'll meet him as a judge in a coming day and then there'll be no grace That that throne will not be a throne of grace then it is an assize of judgment the final assize the final place of judgment and he will say depart from me And I don't want to say what the rest of it goes on to say, but you can read it for yourself. Revelation chapter 20. It's the most horrific scene. But it's only because of those that will not. They will not bow their will. They will not give their lives. They will not acknowledge Jesus as their Lord. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. And it says this, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and we've spoken about that, it's the proof of what he did upon the cross, on account of guilty sinners. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved i wonder if i'm speaking to someone this morning that for the very first time has realised i'm a sinner in god's sight like everyone else but jesus died for me take him as your own today my dear friend and may these messages that we have that you have so faithfully listened to over a number of years now Become the very blessing of your soul. And please tell others about it. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. And the joy, as well as the reality of salvation, will become your possession both now and for eternity. And the question that we posed at the beginning will you be in heaven? Who's going to heaven? Who's going to be there on that glorious morning? those that have made Jesus their Lord and Saviour. God bless his word to you today.